0: section number one of the outline of science volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the outline of science by j arthur thompson psychic science by sir oliver lodge in the long evolution of humanity we trace first the gradual emergence of the organic from the inorganic, the utilization of highly complex chemical compounds for the formation and purposes of life, and then, the gradual rise of living things in the scale of existence, until, at a certain stage, the rudiments of mind and consciousness begin to make their appearance. At some unknown time after this, MUST HAVE ARISEN THE POWER OF CHOICE AND KNOWLEDGE OF GOOD AND EVIL, WHICH MAY BE REGARDED AS THE MOST DEFINITELY HUMAN CHARACTERISTIC. THEN HUMANITY, TOO, WENT ON RISING IN THE SCALE, UNTIL IT BLOSSOMED AND BORE FRUIT IN THE CREATIONS OF ART, THE DISCOVERIES OF SCIENCE, AND IN WORKS OF GENIUS. NOR IS DEVELOPMENT LIKELY TO STOP THERE. Hitherto we have known life and mind as utilizing the properties of matter, but some of us are beginning to suspect that these psychical entities are able to utilize the properties of the ether too, that intangible and elusive medium which fills all space. And if that turn out to be so, we know that this vehicle or medium is much more perfect, less obstructive, more likely to be permanent than any form of ordinary matter can be for in such a medium as ether there is no wearing out no decay no waste or dissipation of energy such as are inevitable when work is done by ponderable and molecularly constituted matter that matter about which chemists, and natural philosophers have ascertained so many and such fascinating qualities. Physicists, chemists, and biologists have arrived at a point in the analysis of matter which opens up a vista of apparently illimitable scope. Our existing scientific knowledge places no ban on supernormal phenomena. Rather, it suggests the probability of discoveries in quite novel directions. Any possible utilization of the ether, however, by discarnate intelligences, must be left as a problem for the future. What appears to be certain is that life and mind require for their manifestation and terrestrial development some form of material, in the broadest sense and that there is certainly an interaction between mind and earthly matter statement of the problem the two branches of knowledge the study of mind and the study of matter have usually been dealt with separately and the facts have been scrutinized by different investigators the psychologists and the physicists the time is coming when the study of these two apparently separate entities must be combined, for it has always been a puzzle how there can be any relation or interaction between two such apparently diverse things as matter and mind. The normal facts of their interaction are so familiar that it needs an effort to pick them out with due discrimination and to present the outstanding problem in all its clearness a philosopher is aware of the difficulty and most systems of philosophy have been attempts to solve the mystery and formulate the principles underlying the universe as a whole but by science in its narrow sense such unification has not as yet been attempted physical science deals mainly with matter and so far as it touches on mind It assumes that mind acts, and can only act, in connection with, or in relation to, or as a development of, matter. The science of psychology, on the other hand, aims at treating of all the normal processes and interrelations of mind, and describes its use of the organs of the body, both for receiving and transmitting impressions, without attempting or at least without succeeding, in explaining the transition from mechanical vibration to sensation and emotion, or vice versa. But there are certain asserted facts, now receiving growing attention, which, on the surface, suggest that mind may possibly exist apart from matter, that, though its manifestations may be, its activities are not, wholly limited to material organs that mind and matter are in fact not inseparable and that perhaps matter may be replaced by an ethereal vehicle which would elude our present senses there may be some doubt as to what these asserted facts precisely are but in so far as they represent reality it becomes necessary to examine their validity and relevancy to determine whether the suspicion of independent mental action is justified and generally to seek to evolve a theory of mental activities beyond those known and familiar in this way investigators may hope to ascertain whether the facts do really establish an independent and persistent existence for mind apart from its temporary bodily mechanism. So we may summarize and say that to ascertain the real nature of the connection between mind and matter, and the possibilities which underlie their connection, whether those possibilities are generally recognized or not, and even if they lend us into strange and unusual regions of inquiry, is the object of psychic science section one psychical research the facts which need to be examined have long been known to groups of people here and there from the earliest times but only of late years say three-quarters of a century at most have they been taken seriously by more than one or two individuals and critically and responsibly and corporately examined without prejudice and without superstition much had been done previously in the observation and collection of facts but in eighteen eighty two a new society was founded in london for their special study along lines as far as possible similar to those which had conduced to the astonishing progress of physical science and with the birth of this society the society for psychical research or the spr psychic science may be said to have entered upon a more stable career the society has published 32 volumes of proceedings and 20 of its journal amongst its presidents and honorary members there are illustrious names and sir a.j balfour the president in 1893 at the end of his address quite truly implied that the society had already shown Quote, not as a matter of speculation or conjecture, but as a matter of ascertained fact that there are more things in heaven and earth not hitherto dreamed of in our scientific philosophy. Close to mention the names of the pioneers and to trace the history of their laborious effort to attain truth. Would take up space that may be more usefully devoted to a setting forth of the main phenomena which had to be examined and either rejected as fictions or established as facts so long as there are legitimate differences of opinion as to the nature of these phenomena it will be best not to dogmatize nor attempt to sustain a thesis in favor of some and against others but only to summarize the phenomena now familiar to most people at least as folklore stories and to indicate as far as may be some means by which it may be hoped that these odd occurrences can be rationalized and understood we must proceed on the well-tried hope and expectation that everything in the universe however apparently bizarre is intelligible to the mind when it is sufficiently well known mystery and superstition belong to ignorance they enshroud tracts which lie in the dark outside the civilized and cultivated region an effort is required to deal with such phenomena at all even if they turn out to be facts for without some link or clue with which to connect facts together they are difficult of apprehension, and they can hardly be said to conform to the requirements of science. There must be system and orderly arrangement before disjecta membra can be assimilated and incorporated into the main body of organized knowledge. Section 2. First fruits of the Inquiry One of the first fruits of the labors of the SPR or, rather, of the pioneers who founded it, was the discovery of telepathy or thought-transference between mind and mind without the use, apparently, of any of the known organs of sense. It was found by careful experiment that an idea or visual image or other familiar notion could be conveyed to another person, provided he possessed the faculty of receptivity, although that person was screened from all normal channels of communication. Experiments of this kind were at first conducted in the same room, usually with trivial things like portable objects and diagrams and numbers, stringent precautions being taken by the use of opaque screens without dependence on the completeness of blindfolding, that normal means of acquiring information about the diagrams or objects were excluded. Experiments of this kind will be found in most of the earlier volumes of the Proceedings of the SPR. Similar or slightly modified experiments were afterwards extended to a considerable distance, and still between, so to speak, attuned persons, the amount of correspondence was found to be beyond chance. The evidence is bulky, and perhaps rather tedious but the establishment of such a faculty is of prime importance and is worth the labor for manifestly it begins the demonstration of the possible independence and separation of mind from its ordinarily used methods of communication the voice and the hand the ear and the eye are no longer the only transmitters and receivers of mental impressions Several series of experiments in thought transference in the same room will be found in the early volumes of the Proceedings of the SPR, and a few of the diagrams looked at by the agent and simultaneously drawn by the blindfolded and screened percipient in these experiments can be reproduced here, these being selected as successful instances. But from the point of view of evidence The whole series must be studied and chance eliminated perhaps the most interesting of recent experiments on this subject are those conducted by professor gilbert murray in his own family where the thing transferred was not a diagram or anything objective or visible at all but an event or scene silently thought of by one of those present For instance, these successful items from the Proceedings of the S.P.R., Volume 29. Agent silently thinks of Alistair and Malcolm MacDonald running along the platform at Liverpool Street and trying to catch the train just going out. While, after a pause, Percipient says aloud Something to do with a railway station. I should say it was rather a crowd at a big railway station. And two little boys running along in the crowd. I should guess Basil. As another instance may be quoted, this one. Subject thought of by agent. Belgian Baron getting out of train at Savonaria with us, and walking across the sandy track and seeing the new train come in statement by percipient man getting out of a train and looking for something i don't know if he's looking for another train to come i think it is a sort of dry hot sort of place i get from him with a faint impression of waxed moustache a sort of foreign person but i can't get more and another an ambitious and rather remarkably successful and dramatic attempt may also be cited here subject set by agent a scene in a story by strindberg a man and woman in a lighthouse the man lying fallen on the floor and the woman bending over him looking at him and hoping that he is dead. Percipient's Guess A horrid atmosphere, full of hatred and discomfort. A book. Not real life. A book I have not read. Not Russian, not Italian, but foreign. I cannot get it. There is a round tower, a man and a woman in a round tower, But it is not materlink not like him i should guess it was strindberg the woman is bending over the man and hating him hoping he is dead assuming that the experiments were fairly conducted we are driven to suppose either that one brain acts on another brain through the interaction perhaps of some hypothetical and unknown ether waves or else that the phenomenon is a purely psychic one and that the impression is transmitted direct from mind to mind without any necessary connection of a physical nature between brain and brain or indeed a third hypothesis which possibly may be gaining adherence viz that a third intelligence not one generally recognized is in operation and is conveying information from the mind of a or agent to the mind of b or percipient in fact that the connection is not direct between a and b at all but is managed by an invisible and intangible operator c this may sound an absurd surmise and one that need not be made in connection with such instances as these but it is not an easy manner anyhow to explain the conveyance of an idea by purely psychic means or even to attempt clearly to formulate such an operation hence any working hypothesis which can be suggested may have to be tested and tried to see if it will work at least the bare possibility of messenger communication will help to prevent too easy and certain a conviction about the existence of wholly unproven brain waves. The testing of working hypotheses is a commonplace procedure in science. Such hypotheses do no harm if they are lightly held, and if a key is not unduly pressed into keyholes which it does not fit. Some good judges think that a mysterious non-vocal method of intercommunication May have been inherited from an animal and savage ancestry, though it has now become almost overlaid and suppressed by civilization and disuse. Section three concerning citation of illustrative examples. If instances or samples of each or of some of the things which are said to occur are quoted in this article it can only be by way of illustration not as evidence of fact for to give anything like real evidence all manner of details of time and place must be supplied together with confirmatory testimony and extracts from any relevant documents that may be available the securing of evidence is a troublesome business involving the interviewing of witnesses the examining of places the obtaining of signed statements, and generally the securing of details which, however instructive and necessary, are laborious to collect and bulky to record. Recorded testimony of this kind must be sought in the Proceedings and Journal of a Scientific Society and other serious publications. If it be complained they are not easy reading, that is a disadvantage they share with the proceedings of learned societies in general they do not aim at being easy they aim at being exact and trustworthy so the samples here and there cited below though based upon actual statements may be taken as mere assertions or at best as illustrations or types of what has to be substantiated or else criticized and demolished elsewhere hallucinations or apparitions after experimental telepathy was fairly established a spontaneous variety such as had long been suspected and was the basis for innumerable stories in history as well as in fiction was examined and brought to book this spontaneous kind of telepathy analogous to spontaneous radioactivity, as contrasted with the experimental excitation of X-rays, is held responsible for many apparitions or hallucinations or phantoms, whether of the living or of the dead, especially the appearance of persons then being subjected to a strong emotion, or some calamity or accident, or an imminent prospect of death the difference between this and the experimental form of thought-transference is that whereas in an experiment the conscious attention and will-power of the agent is riveted on achievement of the results though it has hardly been proved that conscious effort is really effective in the spontaneous class it is the unconscious mind which must be assumed to be operative for the impression is transmitted without conscious intention and without knowledge of the supposed agent that it has been done thus let one whom we may tentatively and hypothetically regard as the agent be suffering shipwreck or be in danger from fire his mental constitution may be supposed so upheaved that any latent power of telepathic or sympathetic communication is evoked and translates itself into an impression in the mind of some distant relative or friend, with such vividness that the circumstances of the person in danger are presented to the friend's imagination as if they had veritably been conveyed through a sense of sight or of hearing. A phantom in dripping clothes, or a voice in tones of distress, are, as it were, seen or heard by the one whom we may regard as the percipient not with the bodily eyes or ears but with the mind though the mental impression may readily be interpreted as an objective reality not as of a person at a distance but as of a person close by so as to be accepted as within reasonable reach of the organs of sense as when a boy killed by a crash from the air is both seen and heard almost immediately afterwards, by another officer sitting in the camp, and hailed and spoken to, surprise being expressed that his long journey was so soon over. The figure, which exhibited identifying details of costume, responds, and goes out. In the evening, the officer learns that this same youth, whom he knew intimately, had been killed by an accident on the way to his destination, at just about the time of his appearance a much fuller account of this occurrence is in the journal of the s p r for june 1919 but really instances of this kind are innumerable and are often narrated in biographies the voice of rochester heard by jane eyre at an impossible distance could not be attributed to a hyperacute sense of hearing if it occurred in reality it would have to be attributed to a telepathic or sympathetic connection between shall we say kindred souls for it is represented as a reciprocal and not a one-sided experience mrs goskell heard charlotte bronte say that it was based on an incident which had really happened few families are without some such story in their archives and all difficulties about the physical appearance of any real phantom the dripping clothes for instance the accompanying horse or any wild scene generally which cannot be thought of as an objective present reality even if the phantom itself could be so regarded all difficulties of this kind vanish or are reduced to insignificance when once it is realized that the whole impression is a mental one And that the surprised percipient has automatically constructed not only the phantom itself, but a number of accessory features, too, as mental imagery appropriate to and aroused by the purely mental shock or stimulus which, through his unsuspected receptive power, he has been privileged to receive. Such cases are far too numerous for chance coincidences to explain a fact which a most carefully conducted and hypercritical census of inquiry has established the sensible thing for those who are out for unprejudiced truth is to accept the demonstrated fact and see if they can devise some line of explanation better than the telepathic one for because telepathy of some kind is a plausible explanation it does not follow that it is the true one in every case our aim is not to rest satisfied with what may superficially seem probable but to ascertain what is true as an example of a phantasm of the living we may take the case of a mother with a sailor's son at work in the pacific she dreams or has a vision of him standing by her bedside in dripping clothes accepts the omen and subsequently mourns him as dead six months later he turns up alive and well but gradually in response to inquiries admits that he had run the risk of being drowned for he had fallen from a mast into the water and had only with difficulty been rescued and it is maintained that the date of the accident agrees well enough with the phantasmal appearance mrs arthur Severn, being awakened by an imaginary blow on the mouth at the same time as her husband sailing on lake connystone before breakfast is struck in the mouth by the swing round of the tiller is a well-authenticated case of spontaneous and unconscious telepathy section four visions or apparitions of the dead a further step may have ultimately to be taken not only are phantasms of the living experienced we find also clear records of phantoms of the dead the two classes merge into one another for the moment of death may be uncertain and some latitude for a delayed impression must be allowed but undoubtedly appearances of dead people have occurred and whether these also are to be attributed to a telepathic impression received from a discarnate agent remains an open question on the whole the hypothesis of telepathy from the dead is regarded favorably by some of those competent to judge the standard classical instance of such an occurrence as narrated by the poets Is the appearance of the drowned ceux to his beloved wife Halcyone, and her consequent veridical conviction of his fate the story is beautifully told with full circumstance and vividness in the eleventh book of ovid's metamorphoses but it is noticeable that in this instance ceux had been dead for some days when the phantom appears and the poet takes it to be a messenger from the gods, assuming the form and voice of the dead man in order to convince Halcyone of the truth. And yet, telepathy, though wide in its range, does not cover all the ground. It has to be stretched considerably in order to account for many apparitions, and especially for what is called the fixed local ghost, that is to say, an apparition said to be encountered in association with certain houses or places with the reputation of being haunted any stranger being said to be able to see the apparition at suitable times even if he were ignorant of the legend and unacquainted with a traditional haunting the first thing is to make sure that the facts are as described and that such persistent haunting is a reality it seems wisest to preserve an open mind on that subject for the evidence though noteworthy is not yet considered as crucial as that for the other class of phantasms the class more readily conceived of as due to transmitted mental impression there appears to be a certain objectivity about this fixed local ghost there seems no obvious agent to whom to attribute a telepathic impulse and besides the things the ghost is sometimes said to do are hardly consistent with a mere mental impression though certainly the hypothesis of a vivid dream on the part of the percipient must be allowed all the benefit of any doubt there may be and the burden of proof that there is anything objective in the experience must rest upon the narrator No need to adduce any examples. Ghost stories of this class are almost too well known. They are difficult to remember in detail, though absurdly easy to invent. Is there any rational hypothesis that can be thrown out for the explication of such phantoms as these, provided they establish themselves as facts? Does the possible independence of or unusual connection between mind and matter the occasional freedom of the mind from the body, at all assist in such explication? On the whole, and tentatively, it does, along one or two channels. CLAIRVOYANCE or LUCIDITY First, along the line of clairvoyance or lucidity. A critical examination of mediumistic powers has shown that occasionally they can extract information not only from people's minds by what we assume to be a process of telepathy whatever that is but also occasionally from commonplace objects that they can decipher for instance what is in a sealed letter or packet or read part of a page of a closed book this reading with the pit of the stomach as it was long ago called or reading with the top of the head or with the fingers or some other part of the body has sometimes been attributed to hyperaesthesia as if parts of the skin not usually sensitive to visual impression become so under exceptional conditions or if the sense of sight became incredibly penetrating and efficient The difficulties about such a semi-physical theory are insuperable and it is better to affix the term clairvoyance or lucidity to the phenomenon without any attempt at explanation in the first instance to continue to scrutinize intelligently the facts a well-known instance detailed by the great philosopher kant is when swedenborg was aware of a fire in stockholm Two hundred miles away, and rose perturbed from a dinner-party, remaining disquieted for an hour or two, until his anxiety subsided, and he was able to assure himself and his friends that the fire had been got under, and that it had been extinguished before it had reached his own home, though it had been dangerously near it, all which, in a day or two, was verified as for the apparent reading of distant books an appropriate biblical text is sometimes given by chapter and verse but that may be thought due to memory it is difficult to attribute to the memory of a youth killed in the war the precise statement that a comforting message to his mother will be found near the bottom of page seventy seven of the third book on the shelf where his school books are kept in a house the medium has never been in and yet things akin to this are contained among the so-called book tests which of late have been received and published the actuality of real clairvoyance as distinct from any kind of telepathy is not an easy thing to test for if the knowledge has existed in any mind whatever Telepathy or mind-reading may be the simplest or at least a possible hypothesis, and furthermore, if a thing is in no mind at all and never has been, it does really seem as if it were difficult or perhaps impossible for any medium to get hold of it. On the other hand, if a packet is really known to a deceased person, the information can sometimes be obtained. As an illustration of the kind of thing expected from a sealed packet, the fictional instance told by Mr. E. F. Benson in his novel Up and Down may be cited, for it is evidently modified from some real experience, and represents in a more or less guarded and imaginative manner something of the kind that occasionally happens. In the reading of sealed packets and the like, there are often failures. But failures, like negative results generally, prove hardly anything. Moreover, they may be due to natural lapse of memory. The theme of a posthumous message or written sentence may be remembered, but it may be impossible to recall at will the exact words in which it was expressed. This happened in a famous instance when the late F. W. H. Myers failed to repeat the sentence which he had written inside an envelope and handed to me twelve years before his death. Memory of the theme alone was quite insufficient for this particular kind of test. The result has to be counted as a complete failure. End of section 1